0: Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. My amazing wife, Linda, has taught me that we have cancer because every one of us is affected by it in some way. Survivors, family, friends, and medical and support team members. And we all have a story worth telling. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 158 of We Have Cancer. Thank you so much for joining me. We have a new topic. I say new topic. It's one that we haven't talked about in the five years that the We Have Cancer podcast has been around. And that is the topic around hospice care. My guest this week, Jeff schufelt known to his friends as Shuey, is someone who's been on my radar for many years through the colon cancer community. I know he was an active participant in the Colorectal Cancer Alliance's chat group, and that's where I learned of, of Jeff and his background, and Jeff has been in the colon cancer Uh, battle if you will not my favorite term but it's the one that comes to mind right now for over 10 years and this one really hit close to home because our stories are somewhat similar that uh, Shuey has been uh, dealing with colorectal cancer for about 10 years has experienced no evidence of disease several times uh, as have I and now is at the point where the best decision for him and his family is to seek out home hospice care as Jeff approaches the end of his life. It was interesting conversation. We talked about a lot of the misconceptions around hospice, and Jeff Shuey, if you will, talked about how hospice has added to the quality of life as he approaches, nobody knows when that will come, as he approaches the end of his life, and how hospice care has helped him improve, actually, the quality of his life. So join me now for my conversation with Shuey, our friend Jeff Shufelt. So Jeff, welcome to the show. It's, it's great to finally meet you. You know We've run in the same circles. I think we've shared some Facebook comments here and there, but I always kind of in the back of my mind was like, who is this guy that Jeannie Moore always refers to as Shuey? And then uh, you reached out and said, hey, let's talk, let's share the story. So I appreciate you doing that and reaching out to be part of the show. I was looking at Facebook and I was on vacation at the beach last week. And it looks like you were also on the water doing a little fishing. Yes. Uh, early last week. Uh, tell me about fishing.
1: Well, finally, a friend of mine who I used to work with, you know, offered me that opportunity to take my son out. And I just jumped on it and said, as soon as you get a free date, I'm in. So we finally got a free day and we went out there. The water was lo- the, the water was a little tough that day which we didn't talk about, but everyone got a fish. And my son got the biggest fish, so that's a good thing. I got the smallest fish, so he gets to tease me about that. But it was just a (laughs) great time because now that I'm doing home hospice, now it's about every chance I get to spend. Every time I get to create a moment, you know, I I, I need to be there to do that.
0: Sure, and I saw you reference "quote unquote" your bucket list, with which so many of us, you know, jokingly referred to as just things we want to do someday. But really, the term came from the uh, movie with uh, Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman, which I think was called Bucket List, if it I remember. Was. And it was about you know doing some things, knowing that end of life is is closer than it is for most people. And for you, that's kind of where you are today, isn't it?
1: That that is. I mean, I I made it to NED four times, which was awesome, and I've been doing this since 2010. I was originally originally diagnosed stage three B, and I did my I did nine rounds of full Fox before I finally tapped out on the axillary platinum.
0: Uh, me too. Nine was the number.
1: Nine, nine was, no, yeah.
0: So we're talking cold, yeah, right?
1: That was brutal. I mean, I, that was as brutal than the last three I did without the axilloplatin. And it was funny because I spent the next two years, 18 months, you know, doing my follow ups every three months. And I was finally going into my oncologist, who's also a friend of mine, a golfing buddy. He was originally a golfing buddy before he was my oncologist. And I was going in to tell him, why am I showing up anymore? I'm 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 good. And that's the first time he actually called me Jeff instead of Shirley, cuz everyone calls me Shirley. He said, "Jeff, sit down." And that's when I said, "Oh, no. Now what?" And this was 2012 and he told and that's when he told me I'm stage 4 and I got mets in my liver and my right lung. So, I and he said you probably have two years. Wow. So but I'm a salesman and you know I hear bad news every day. You know, I'm told mm-hmm. no a thousand times before I get a yes. So I took that I took that you're gonna be dead as an opportunity to find out how do I find someone who's gonna have a different answer. So seven doctors later, all the other six said agreed. With my guy, who was also you know my friend, said, No, it's pretty much two years, you only got chemo, and you're out. I finally said, the heck with this. So I called the surgeon on my own and had him. He says, Come in today. I said, Okay, I come in. He looked at my CAT scan and said, I can do this easily. I said, Where the heck have you been? <laughs> and this was the, the lung surgeon. I and he said, I'm not gonna cut out your lung if we can't do your liver first. So he called his buddy, who's the top liver surgeon in the area, who also works at the same hospital, thank God, which is my backyard. And he had him come down to the room at the same time and he looked at my CAT scan and said, I can do this. And I said, all right, where the heck have you guys been? Because everyone I talked to said, no, this can't be done. And they said, relax, we're gonna do this. So I did my liver resection in October of 2012, and then I did my lung resection in December of 2012. And then I did six more rounds of chemo, and then I was another phase of NED again. So that was my second time, and then it came back to my liver again, which then brought me to a second liver resection, which you had a liver resection, that's a big surgery to do. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's our the nice big J's cut that you get. Did you get the hernia from it as
0: well? <laughs> Funny that you should ask that. And I, wa- I don't want to make this show about me. I want to make it about you. But I'm a pediatric cancer survivor as well. And I had a kidney removed when I was five. And they used the exact same scar when they did my colon resection <laughs> more years later than I care to remember. And I've had... Uh, two surgeries for a for a hernia as a result, and they put in a patch, and then that yeah. lasted a few years, and then it popped up again. And I think I got another one now. And with COVID going on, I've just kind of been dealing with it. And I'm in the middle of going through maintenance chemo right now, Vastin and Folfox. Yeah. So you got to be off of Vastin for like three weeks before you can do a surgery. And, you know, it's, it just flares up every now and then I get this sudden thing and, you know, I'm going to have to address it at some point, but. So you got that alien? Yeah. It's like right under my rib, left rib cage, like right where the end last rib is. And every now and then it just pops and up. I
1: got it on my on right, right side. side. Yeah.
0: So how long was the gap? How long did you enjoy the first NED?
1: The first one was about 18 months. Okay. And, and I enjoyed, was it yeah, about eighteen months from two thousand and ten is when I had my first surgery. So I did six rounds. Backing up, let me back up. So I first get I first get diagnosed after fighting with a lot of doctors because I was sure. like creating a crime scene when I went to the bathroom. <laughs> but all the doctors said it's beta cells when you drink too much, take an extra Pepsi and you'll be okay because I was 46 at the time. Don't worry about it. It's not that. Then they said, maybe you got an ulcer. So they did an upper GI, which came back, you know, fine. You don't have that. And I'm still creating crime scenes. So they finally, they finally did the colonoscopy and the doctor comes in and says, Oh my God, thank God you kept badgering me because you got cancer. Oh, Great, thank you. <laughs> wow,
0: and how long were you NED the second time uh, between livers?
1: Second time was twelve months. Twelve months.
0: You've you've got me beat. I mean, I've had several NEDs, but I don't think I've gone more than six, which is about where I'm at now. So I,
1: I mean, I've I, I've tried both ways. I've tried eating like a rabbit, doing everything right, being perfect, being taking no sugar in doing everything possibly I can to be correct, and it still came back. So that's when I said, okay, I'm just going to be a carnivore like I am and enjoy life because if it's going to keep coming back, I might as well have a prime rib.
0: Mm-hmm. Have dessert first, as a recent podcast interview had told me, have dessert first.
1: <laughs> yep, and have a bowl of ice cream at night and enjoy myself. And Yeah. So that's what I do now because I've I've tried every way. And like I said, it kept coming back. Then the last time before I went into hospice, they did try me on Lone Surf. This is right when COVID came out. And that was just probably the most brutal chemo I did for me personally. Really? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it really kicked my butt. I mean... All of a sudden I have a raging fever, so I thought now I got the virus. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Now it's even worse than I thought, but I didn't. It was just I couldn't take Lone Surf, and I had spots that were growing, so there was nothing left to me available on the chemo line. Well, there was one other drug, but it only gives you one to three months. I said, well, I'm not, I'm not chasing – quantity i'm chasing quality sure so i'd rather spend that time because right now i feel the best i've ever felt if i was on chemo there's no way i'd be on that fishing trip sure there'd be no way i'm going to be on the golf course tomorrow with my son even though i can't play golf right now i can still ride around with him so now i'm getting to create memories
0: so talk about that a little bit chewy you know I think there's a lot of misnomers out there about what hospice is and isn't. What has hospice, for first off, how long have you been on home hospice and what's been your experience so far? What are, and also what are the misconceptions around hospice?
1: Uh, the, biggest, the biggest misconception is uh, you're gonna die quick because the, the sad thing about hospice is Everyone's insurance, I mean, you're covered insurance-wise no matter how long you're in. But most insurance says six months. But every insurance will renew you. And the sad part is the average time that someone spends in hospice today is about two and a half weeks. Weeks. Wow. Weeks. So that means they went through treatment right up until the very end. And that's something, if you remember, you remember Sue Kadera?
0: Of course. She was on the show twice. She was one of the first people I know that was on Lawn Surf.
1: Yes. Me and Sue, we were neighbors. Oh, wow. So we were very good friends. So we talked all the time and would do our, you know, our little breakfasts that we'd have and talk. And we always said, we're not going to, I'm not going to go out with a chemo bag hooked to me, you know, so I'm not going to do that. And it's not, I, I've had a couple people say, well, you're quitting. I said, no, I'm not quitting. I'm living. And, you know, I'm enjoying life. I'm living life because no one gets to pick how many days they have, but we do get to pick what we do with our days. And I choose to enjoy every single one of them. So so it was my choice not to poison myself because there's one more poison left out there for me. I could do it, but why? Especially Lone Surf. It beats your immunity system up so bad. In today's environment, I'd probably catch the virus just being in my house all the time. Yeah. So because I've been I've been in hospice basically since the same time March, especially the same time that everyone you know ducked inside their house.
0: So you've you've been in hospice for four months. What has it done for you? Talk about what what is the experience?
1: The experience. I mean, it's uh, the nurses. The nursing staff is fantastic right now i'm on so right now I, I carry my bag i i get the bag that everyone had for 5fu now i got a bag full of dilaudid
0: i'm getting mine tomorrow <laughs> yep.
1: this is a pump of dilaudid so it's just mm, okay just painkillers and right now the amount of painkiller they have me on Is the same amount that they use in a 600 bed hospital each day. Whoa! So, when I had my port break the other day, so now I got a pick line. So, now it's strange to put a shirt on because I got a pick line that goes into your arm, yeah, instead of through my port because my port kept acting up Hmm. and they couldn't get access through my port, so we had to go to the pick line. So, now I get to carry this bag. Twenty-four-seven, and I've been doing it for two months now. Is when they finally when they finally put me on the bag of painkillers because I because the pills were just not keeping up. Because the problem I got is where the tumor is in my liver, it hits a nerve by my diaphragm anytime I lay down. So it's worse at night. So anytime I try to sleep. It's like my shoulder explodes like a volcano, so that's what I deal with now. The painkiller knocks it down to about a five on my scale, which my five is probably everyone else's twelve. But yeah, it's just where I, it's just where I'm at.
0: Yeah, what? How else has hospice helped your quality of life?
1: I mean, they, I mean, their their total focus is just me being able to get out, me being comfortable, me being able to go create a memory with my kid, because I'm not doing hospice in a, in, in a house. I'm not, I'm not laid up where I'm gonna go. Well, I could go next week, who knows? No one knows when they're gonna go. But to me, I still feel great. I mean, but I'm on enough painkiller that doctors, I had two doctors come to the emergency room yesterday because that's when they put my pick a line in was yesterday just to see the person who could take this much painkiller and still function i can't
0: Which, i can't tell talking to you that you're on mega doses of dilaudid you know looking at you and speaking to you
1: it's, i take i get 24 milligrams every hour and then i get 12 milligrams every six minutes as needed gotcha. so yeah most people a big dose to them is two wow Because the biggest pill you can get is eight.
0: Eight's the biggest. Okay. Gotcha. Talk about the decision to do hospice. What was the thought process there? You know, how did you, how did you make this decision?
1: This is really, is really between Sue and I having lots of long conversations about this. Sue and I talking about, because we also have been so involved in the colon cancer alliance and and helping so many other people and trying to help other people out there with our stories. But seeing people basically treat themselves to death is something we both agreed. You know, we basically did, you know, a little uh, Indian handshake, you know, cut our fingers and, <laughs> and bond. That neither one of us were going to do that, you know, and... That's how it came out. We just said, as, as soon as chemo was not working, because if my spots are growing, why? Because I could go back to a full fury, because I did, I did over 200 rounds of full fury. I mean, I can do that, but why if my spots are growing on it?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's like, it, 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 to me, it makes no sense. So it's just, my job is, I, I, I took my job as to make sure my family's prepared really to be without me and to make sure both kids, I mean, things I'm gonna miss out on, I'm I'm not gonna see my daughter walk down the aisle, which is tough, that's gonna bring a tear to my eye, but I'm not gonna see grandchildren, but I know both my kids are ready to go and excel out in the workplace and succeed on their own without me. So I did my job, so
0: you kind of came upon this decision and talked Gotta hold back some tears. Here, of course, no, and you don't Lee, fill in here. And, for me, and no. you don't need to. <laughs> you would not be the first to shed a tear on the We Have Cancer podcast. So, Shu, you came to this decision in a conversation with Sue Kadera that this is kind of how you wanted to do things, and and Sue's been gone now what, almost four years?
1: Yeah, easy. Yeah, so this was years ago. I made that choice.
0: So when it finally came to make it happen, what was your family's reaction when you said, all right, it's time, and this is what I want to do?
1: Well, they, well, I've been preparing them the whole time that that was going to be my choice. When it comes to that, when it comes to the point that chemo's no longer working, I'm no longer going to do it.
0: And they were okay with that.
1: So, that's, so they were prepared because we've been talking about it for four years, basically.
0: If you're looking for another podcast to check out, and I'm especially talking to the men in our audience, I invite you to check out the Prostate Health Podcast hosted by Dr. Garrett Pullman. Dr. Pullman was a guest on the We Have Cancer Podcast in episode 154. And his fantastic podcast is his vehicle to talk about and interview experts covering an array of topics around prostate health, prostate cancer prevention. So I invite you to check him out wherever you get your podcasts or media, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, just search for the Podcast Health Podcast or visit podcasthealthpodcast.com and check out the great work that Dr. Garrett Pullman is doing. Be sure to stick around to the end of this episode to learn how you can get your rear in gear. Talk about the how you received support, particularly through the Colon Colorectal Cancer Alliance. You know, you and I were talking before I hit record about how both of us at early on spent significant time in their daily chat group, which, by the way, if people are interested, they can learn more about on the Colorectal Cancer Alliance's website at ccalliance.org. But talk about the role that social media and these online support communities have, have played in your cancer experience.
1: Well, if it wasn't for finding that site, the CCA, I don't, I don't believe I'd be here right now because I would have never connected with the Sue's of the world. And now I'm having chemo brain and all the people that are now since gone that I made strong connections with that really helped me. So what I did, I, I geared my program around basically every little bits of what everyone else was doing, what they were having success with. So I take this little piece from someone else, and a little piece here, and a little piece there, and try to put it together and make it my program and how I'm going to do my chemo program. So,
0: did that prepare? You? It's 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 been phenomenal. Did that prepare you when you met with your doctors to talk about treatment options, the things that you learned from others who've come down the road, and and these uh, various online support groups? Did you feel like you were more empowered to make Informed decisions.
1: I was, and and the other thing that I've also that I think, especially anyone who's stage four, I believe they should add a palliative care team to their to their doctor set. And so I've had a palliative care doctor who's now my lead hospice doctor for the last three years now. So he's he's been part of he's been part of my team. So he's been helping prepare me as well
0: for those that are not informed could you explain the difference between palliative care and hospice care
1: palliative palliative care they, they were focused this more on managing my my pain making sure i'm pain free i mean that that's really their job make sure i'm pain free hospice care they deal with the they deal with palliative they reach out to my doctor to get the drugs from what drugs should they be using so hospice goes through palliative to die i mean to give you any drugs that that you would need,, mm-hmm. so you get both- once you go in the hospice, you get palliative so but, but i I believe everyone should get palliative care before way before they get to the hospice
0: so and and I've heard other people explain this and and being stage four myself, maybe it's something. That I should even consider what I've heard and help me understand here is, you don't have to be in pain to be have palliative care. That they do, correct? They provide all kinds of just support.
1: Yeah, just support. If it's just you know mental support, is someone just to talk to. I mean, it's whatever you need, just to you know feel better, to be better about yourself, to, to get through that day. I mean, what their job is to do whatever they can do to make sure you get through that day better gotcha. And so is that getting you in touch with someone to talk to? Is that a pain medication? Is that, you know, medical marijuana like he signed me up for? What is that? So they they manage all that. Because if you if you look at doctors, doctors are so specialized now. And the reason I had so many doctors say no to me at first is cuz I kept going to oncologists Oncologists no chemo, surgeons no surgery, radiologists no radiation, and only talk to the person that can perform that procedure before you before you make a decision. Don't let your oncologist make all your decisions for you. If it's a chemo decision, absolutely. But if it's most of them, even on pain meds, because was my because my oncologist handling my pain meds, but my pain was getting out of control. And if I didn't have my palliative care team, there was no way I'd be able to have this dose right now. I probably would have died from the pain. And so palliative care took care of that.
0: Where typically an oncologist would not.
1: They they, they would not because their job is not to understand the pain medication and how they interact and make you feel better. Their job is to make how does that chemo interact with that tumor to try to heal you, not the other way around. So they, they don't focus on this. nor should they right so i mean you you don't i mean if if you're getting your oil change you don't take it to a plumber (laughs) you know that's
0: or a tire shop yeah (laughs) (laughs) that only does tires right after the first time you were NED, and you said you know you had to go through seven doctors to find someone who said i can do this the doctors who said they could do this they were surgeons
1: they were surgeons Everyone who said no was an oncologist. So I kept going. So I, I got I got Roswell, which is close. I got also Dana-Farber, which is close. So I went to both of them. You know, I had a, I had a decent experience at Dana-Farber. I had a horrible experience at Roswell, which goes back to if you just read the first thing, I wouldn't have to be there. Because the one thing that stage four people don't have is time. So if anyone who wastes my time, I get upset. And if I can briefly go into my rise, into that story was, I spent all day there because they said I matched up perfectly for this new trial that they're doing. So what does that bring? That what does that bring to you? That brings so much joy to your heart. You're excited. You got this new You got something that's going to save your life. And they made my doctor fax like three thousand pages of all my medical records to him because they couldn't take it electronically, which makes no sense to me. And I told them, I said, the only thing you need is my last PET scan. If you read my last PET scan, you see everything. And that's, that's where you're going to make your decision from anyway. Just read that. They said, and they said, no, come in. You're, you're good. You, you qualify. So I spent almost six hours there going through all the teams of doctors before I finally get to the head honcho. And he walks in and says to me, Well, I looked at your pet and you don't qualify to which I lit him up. I said, I said, sir, there's one thing you can't do. You cannot waste someone with stage four cancers time. We don't have time. We want to enjoy our time. You you left me here two weeks thinking I had something, an opportunity for me to get better. When I even said to your people, all you have to do is read my last pet scan and then you're the last doctor of the day to come in and say to me, do to your PET scan, because my lymph nodes were not enlarged enough to qualify. Didn't matter that I had a bunch of them lighten up. Right. It's just they weren't the size enough for the study. And I, uh, that was a hard, that, that was probably one of my hardest days in my whole cancer experience, was, was that day there.
0: Yeah, to have that roller coaster of hope and then hope dashed, all in the same day, had to be really tough.
1: It was tough, especially when I knew all you had to do is look at look at my PET scan. All you got to do is look at that, and every doctor. And so they because they sent all the fellows in, and you got to go through your history with every one of them. And I try to be gracious with my time because I know they're learning. So I try to help them because it's only going to help the next person. Right. The better we can make someone, the better it's going to be for the next person. And yeah, anyway.
0: Yeah. So when you going back to you know, you know, you mentioned you plan on being out on the golf course with your son tomorrow. Do you find people are surprised to hear that? in the same breath when they say you're in hospice?
1: Oh yeah, The people are. I mean, like, I mean, I'm walking into Walmart. I got my mask on, but it's amazing. Everyone's looking at me like I'm supposed to be dead. It's like, how can someone in hospice? Going back to the hospice thing, how can someone in hospice be walking around? And that goes back to because the two and a half week syndrome. The majority of people that go in the hospice only last two and a half weeks, and, which is sad because they don't take they don't take the time to build some memories. There's always someone out there or something in Mexico. You spend, give them twenty grand, they're going to give you hope. There's always someone out there that can do that for you. But like Sue and I decided four or five years ago, you know, we're not going to do something crazy like that. One, I can't afford it and take that money away from my family and it makes no sense if it was real, someone would have bought them already
0: and it'd be <laughs> delivered everywhere. Right. So So basically the issue is is that if I'm hearing you correctly, Suey is that most people wait too long. To reap the benefit of hospice.
1: Correct. They they Their tumors are growing. They continue to grow. And it's always good. to. I have hope. I, I, I hope for a miracle every day. I, I believe in God. I pray. But there's also realistic facts here. There's also science. Science says my tumors are growing when I do this. So why am I doing this and feeling like crap when I can feel great, go fishing with my son, be on the golf course tomorrow with my son. My daughter comes back Friday. She just graduated law school.
0: Oh, fantastic!
1: She'll be she'll be with us until uh, she's got a job, but she'll be able to work from home until twenty twenty one January. That's because they have everyone working from home, so she's going to work from home here instead of being in D.C. where the job is. So I get to build memories with my family, and hopefully. I'm still here for that. I, I want to be, my goal is to be the longest person in hospice.
0: <laughs> That's a great goal to have, my friend.
1: And to be there, I want them to fight because they just had to have a a re, you know, clear me again. You know, the recertified. Yeah, recertification. I had to get recertified. Mm-hmm. I said, Are you kidding me? Look, at, you know, it, just look at the painkillers on mine. I, I got to get certified. How about this? <laughs> I got your
0: your certification right here in my hand.
1: (laughs) Exactly. You get one other person that can take this, you know, God bless them. But my goal is to get more people to be able to take this brick, Mm -hmm. to get more people to reach out, to talk to palliative care. Palliative care is not, you're not saying you lost. You're looking for more ways to win. And that's their job. Their job is to find more ways for you to win and to be better. And the healthier you are mentally and physically, the longer you're going to be. And that's what palliative care helps with. And that's what hospice does.
0: Well, Jeff, you've been so generous with your time. And, you know, I've been doing this podcast for five years now, over 170 interviews. And this is the first conversation that we've had on the show on this topic of hospice and palliative care. And that's significant because someone, hopefully more than someone, someone's going to listen to your story and it's going to be able to make a better decision, not just for themselves, but also for the people that love them because they heard your story. And yes, I, I hope that that knowledge brings you some comfort. I know it does me just hearing your story too, because over these, this last half hour or so, You've taught me a lot of things that I didn't know, and I truly appreciate it, and I want to wish you lots and lots of more memories with uh, your family and your friends, and you go break that record for me, okay?
1: I will, my friend.
0: All the best to you, Jeff. Many nonprofit organizations are struggling with fundraising at this time because of quarantine. You know, many of these organizations rely on events, whether they're dinners or 5K runs and walks and these things, and the Colon Cancer Coalition is no different. So I hope you will join me. I donated to them, and I hope that you will do the same by visiting the coloncancercoalition.org forward slash events and find a virtual event and help support this wonderful organization that is working so hard to eliminate colon cancer as one of the leading causes of death in this country. I've supported them. I hope you'll join me in doing the same. Thank you for listening to We Have Cancer, and thank you to our sponsor, the Colon Cancer Coalition, for your support. You can subscribe to We Have Cancer by visiting Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or Spotify. And you can find us on social media by visiting our Facebook page at We Have Cancer Show and at We Have Cancer Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. We Have Cancer as a proud supporter of Genie's Blue Angels, providing financial support to those affected by colorectal cancer.